OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Just like in our fashion, uh, David, we're, we're right into things, so we'll just keep going. But thank you and uh, very much for joining us. So welcome to Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. And today we're really excited that we get to dive into everything that you're doing in Los Angeles, David. So maybe the best way to start is if you can give us a bit of a background idea on kind of where you've come from, the things that you're currently working on, and then one thing about you that nobody would know. Yeah, cool. Um, I, I'll do like a quick two minute. Uh, started my my you know, career at Microsoft, um, came to LA to go the engineering route and work for a couple startups that exited. Um, and eventually found myself at Red Bull in a senior engineering role, uh, held us held a senior title for about three years. And, um, after three years, uh, launched my, uh, corporate innovation studio called AugX. And from there made a couple angel investments. And in 2020, um, I attended the venture university, uh, to kind of fulfill a little bit more of my investing capability. Cause I, you know, I think it's just like anyone else that's just jumping into angel investing, didn't really know exactly what they were doing right off the bat, but had a lot of network, had a lot of, uh, you know, friends that are founders. So, uh, that was, it was easy to learn from them. And then venture university kind of took that to the next level. And they also helped me to launch action ventures. So action ventures is a, a boutique syndicate, um, made up of, uh, LPs mixed of family offices and other business owners. Uh, we invest in high performance ventures. We like to say uh, high performance just means something of an incredible uh, unfair advantage. Uh, you know, very very. It, it could be uh, a really strong engineering team. It could be a really um, a really strong uh, financial engineering uh, perspective. Uh, so we're just kind of looking for unfair advantages in that sense, and that's what we consider high performance. Um, and then we write check sizes in, si in the size of 25 to 50K uh, through a syndicate. And then all throughout kind of this angel investing thing, um, I've been writing a bunch of small checks. So it's, that's actually been pretty fun as well. So it's, <laughs> we, we can get into that, but yeah, definitely. I love it. Well, I kind of want to, and one thing about you before we jump, I always almost forget this, but oh, one thing yeah. about you, nobody will know. Uh, nothing really out there that says it, but I, I grew up in a small, uh, village in Alaska called Barrow, Alaska. Uh, they recently changed the name back to, uh, uh, a first people's name called Pukyavik. Uh, but yeah, I, I grew up in a, in a small Alaskan town. That's amazing. That's very cool. So you're almost Canadian then. Almost. I mean, there's like, there's definitely some, uh, you know, first people's, uh, you know, uh, culturals that I like that I really took in. I can, I can Eskimo dance. So I like it. We're going to call you Canadian anyway. So for all the listeners <laughs> nice. out there, uh, meet David, he's Canadian and uh, he's grown <laughs> up in the, in the snow. So, uh, we're, we're welcoming you in. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. I still think Alaska should be totally 100% part of, uh, uh, the Canadian side of everything because, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but uh, I'm going to go with it anyways. I know that that would be an interesting kind of like history analysis to look at, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, Alaska does have one of the most active, uh, you know, LP like uh, endowments uh, it, it, as a sovereign nation and such. So pretty interesting. I, I'd love to see their, their BC performance, but they're pretty active. Oh yeah. That'd be pretty cool. I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to guess that during the winter months, which are longer, they may have some time on their hands and they're probably looking at maybe getting into ventures. So I can see yeah. a big opportunity there. I think I'm going to have to start finding some people there. Well, you know, some people in that's, let's work together on this one. I love yeah. it. Cool. Very good. Very good. So uh, I kind of want to go back to some of the past and some of the things that you did throughout the Red Bull and the Microsoft days. How much of that do you think is really built into what you're doing today? Yeah, it's, that's a pretty good question. Um, I came to Microsoft uh, as an analyst. Um, yeah, I thought that I was going to go the business route uh, when, in fact, a couple of mentors at Microsoft kind of deterred me and said, it kind of convinced me to go toward the engineering route. Um, 
I actually loved the immediate, um, you know, incentive. So when you launch something, you release something, you write a, a little bit of code, you kind of get that like quick hit of feedback if you ship it. Um, and so learning how to code uh, was, was a really interesting thing while working a full-time job, uh, but we did it. And then also at Microsoft, I'm, you know, with my entrepreneur mindset, I always knew that I wanted to build something, but uh, in Microsoft, we built, um, I, I put on the entrepreneur hat and we built tools that helped us, uh, you know, transfer data to sales teams and back, you know, so, so and so forth. Um, the team that I was on specifically, it was called the, the traffic quality team. And uh, it was click advertising at its, at its like peak. Uh, Bing had just acquired the Yahoo click feed. We were at this like peak moment where they're getting so much data, just tons of data on the platform. And in the process, we had to figure out, you know, algorithms and things that are happening that um, prevented huge fraudulent um, activity. And so in order to do that, we had to come up with tools and processes internally. And that's, that's what really got me excited. Um, fast forward, um, a lot of that work that was done for click forensics and such uh, was um, somewhat rewarded because the digital crimes unit at Microsoft was able to solve a big, uh, I think, $90 million or so case. Um, and, and that was a lot of the work and analytics that we did. Uh, came to LA because I also found that there was peak Windows phone, it was peak iPhone. So I realized that, you know, I could either create a career or build technologies that were, you know, simple, fast, and easy to get out there. Um, and it was, it was amazing. It was easy to do kind of as a, as a first stepping stone. And then you start to get into the full stack and you start to get into data. Uh, and so the startup that I came to LA for was a, uh, uh, it was an inventory management product and you know, built everything top to bottom, uh, me and another engineer. And then we shipped it, and 18 months later, they were acquired, moved into another type of um, aspect, which was streaming. So streaming is what got me into Red Bull. Uh, we kind of did a lot of uh, digital streaming. And at the time, it, was, it hadn't been figured out yet. Like, holding data and holding content on a phone uh, was, was, you know, whether you, whether you uh, encrypted it on the phone and, and, like, prevented people from stealing the movie, for example, um, those were little things that we had to figure out. And then um, I think after that, it was just mostly distributed and, and mobile. So like, how else could you figure out, um, you know, putting out a, a, I think the last thing actually I worked on code-wise was a React Native, you know, application that was distributing content, uh, 4K content. So it was pretty interesting. Um, and then that leads to my investing, you know, uh, kind of thesis, which is I can I can take apart consumer internet products, I can take apart distributed cloud products, and anything that has to do with mobile and experiences. So that leads to uh, marketplaces, uh, you know, apps and, and and like technology stack development, where you're you're looking at edge products, um, IoT. Um, uh, I think that I'm I'm actually really excited. One of the companies I invested in was, is called Macrometa. Uh, so, you know, one of my fourth or fifth markups right now, really excited about that. Uh, but it was, ed it's edge software. So it was, a I was able to understand the problem that they're trying to solve at the, at the enterprise level as well. Um, so to shorten that up, uh, it does give the, the engineering side does definitely give you a lens into what might be coming in terms of, uh, technology. And as, as, as innovation just kind of keeps going, like out of, ridiculous rate i'm really excited for you know the kids that are entering engineering right now um, what they're going to come up with what they're going to identify as as opportunity so it might be way far from where where i ended from my engineering career and that's kind of exciting for me so i don't actually have to be an engineer to understand it anymore i think i think it's i think things are way farther now than than where i ended to be honest as well so and you still go into dive into the code side. So when you're looking at these companies and you're, you're potentially going to make an investment, do you, do you go into the code? Do you uh, ask for that aspect of it and say, Hey, you know what? I, I can do all this, or you're just envisioning based on where they're going and, and uh, just using that as your kind of uh, ground level to get everybody else interested from an investment side. That's a good point. Um, I think with the way that I look at a, a business in total is 
you know, kind of the business. And so if it is based on an engineering problem, then yeah, I'll definitely dig into the stack and, and have more of an engineering conversation. But then I think the reality is, is what we're seeing is companies can get to parity uh, very, very quickly without having to do a, a huge engineering campaign right away. And so I think when you and I connected, you know, as, as professional service providers in this world, um, you can do so much now with, you know, no code and low code tools to get your business up to parity. And that, that includes like internal things like, uh, you know, how are you handling your accounts receivable? How are you handling your, your you know, your tax and performance, all these tools you can do without, uh, you know, having to create anything from scratch. Uh, customer acquisition tools. Um, and so the challenge that I see is if you're going to a deeper kind of engineering route and you're really trying to figure out a big engineering problem, that's super attractive. But if you're attempting to do something in, you know, for example, consumer, um, a lot of the problems have been figured out. So what I'm looking for in, in terms of that is how fast you can move along your stack. How, how, how quickly can you get to parity uh, using off-the-shelf tools, off-the-shelf code, you know, off-the-shelf stacks, um, just move quickly. Uh, so there's two kind of, you know, two categories I'm looking at there. Well, that's amazing. And, and it's kind of cool that uh, you get the opportunity to actually understand the code, jump in, decide if this is hack or this is good. And then from there, you can also envision where something's going to go. So you're actually tying in other investors into that mainstream idea that, you know, this is where things are today, but I can totally envision that this can get to this extra stage uh, with some engineering and the capabilities. So I guess that kind of goes into your investment thesis, which is really get based around, you know, what is that hidden gem that they've got built into their company? And can it be engineer-based? Can it be product-based? Whatever that might be. And this is where it's going to end up. So you have to really be able to foresee that future, which I think brings a really good element to uh, any investment group because sometimes we can't see for en far enough out. So we can't see that this could be successful and that it's just going to end up being a big cost uh, squeeze and end up failing. So you've probably got a good vision in that because you can understand code. Yeah, I, I think it helps. And um, I think very rarely though, do I, do I jump in unless I get true access and uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it is interesting though, because right now at this very moment um, I will say that, a lot of companies I've looked at have raised, not that I've invested in, but there's, there's a lot of companies that have raised at incredibly high valuations and they have zero tech whatsoever. It's like <laughs> they have processes uh, and you know, they have things in place, but they have, they have zero tech, like zero tech stack, uh, which is really interesting. So, um, And how do you guys evaluate a type of company like that? Um, and I've gone through some of your, uh, some of the investments you guys have made from uh, one of them that sound pretty interested, which was Trash Warrior. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're probably not heavily code-based. They're more services slash code. You're still doing something, but it's allocating maybe a vehicle or, or anything else that's going to kind of help you move and get things out of a space. But um, what makes you decide to go into that versus diving into a super heavy code-based investment? Yeah, I, I would love to explain a little bit about Lily, and it's a good time to kind of like uplift the company. But Trash Warrior, surprisingly, they actually had a really, really sophisticated backend, and they they lifted that up by having a really, really easy and simple front-facing product. And to to kind of harp on Lily's personal experience, um, she had a lot of product experience as well as data science experience. And she was uh, partly responsible for bringing Niantic's curve the other way around. So they had a drop curve in their in their, in their growth, and she turned that growth around uh, from her you know, data science experiment uh, experience. And so I think the way that she was approaching this whole thing from the beginning was a marketplace with a really strong data science uh, you know perspective and lens, and then the ability to move very very, very quickly on the engineering side. So they kind of hid the fact that it was very uh, complex and your customer experience was just a three-step experience. That's all it was. You put in your name, you put in your information and you hit send. And it, they made it so simple 
that now, uh, you know, they're, they're at 6 million GMB. Um, and they just started there. So they just started their kind of like rise. Um, so it was very, it was very impressive that they were able to do that. And without me actually having to jump into the code, I could definitely tell that there was a lot of complexity behind the scenes. And that, that's what gave me a lot of the conviction there too. It's like, they, they did it. They figured that out. No, that's pretty cool. So now kind of taking this, the investment side of, and how you guys are going after different spaces, can you give us an idea of where you fit in with um, making that investment? Are you guys just money in and keep working? Do you work with them after? Do you just go on to the next deal? How do you kind of structure that? Well, I mean, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, the deals that, that you really want to really want to get in, they almost don't need you. And so they don't need you very much. Um, so with the smaller checks, we like to do the capital, but we try to bring in some value out right away. So if it's a matter of, uh, you know, finding human resources or, you know, bringing in some human capital, uh, if there's any way that we could, you know, uh, use our network of, of builders to help build, uh, or getting in the engineering side, we do. Um, I think one, one, one company that I'd like to talk about in particular is, uh, FO or stands for back of house. Um, I heard, I knew that there was a really strong, you know, force behind the founder, but I just had to match him up with a, a CTO because his tech, his current tech, uh, or his prior, uh, technical co-founder had left. And so just jumping in and, and bringing in and getting, uh, him in front of the technical people to see if they had a fit, um, in a very, very short amount of time. That's, that's where we kind of come in. It, it, you know, we'll get on the phones, we'll roll our sleeves up, we'll do a bunch of tactical work with you. So it helps. And are there are a couple of things that you look at when now talking with these uh, different founder groups, uh, where you feel you fit best, like things that you can actually tackle for them. Yeah, I think, I think what's interesting is as much as, um, as much as this information is out there in terms of raising money, uh, you realize that um, a lot of founders, I guess, don't have a process in place for raising money or raising capital. Uh, and that process needs to be somewhat of a sales engineered process. Uh, so that is something I, I jump in with immediately. It's like, all right, let's get your narrative down. Uh, let's get your sales, your, your, your investor funnel kind of set up. And we'll start doing the introduction. We'll do the roadshow. Um, I, I, I feel like sometimes uh, that's new information for some people. But it, it, it's like once you have a, a solid process and uh, more meetings you can do, the better. The more relationships you can build early, the better. And so that's one thing we help them with prior to even getting in with anything else. Uh, so the ones that actually raise very well and very quickly, I think, that's where we kind of have a challenge to, to bring in additional value. So, uh, you know, again, tactical work, strategic work, uh, connections to more engineers. Um, yeah. Like any computer vision, any computer vision type of, uh, you know, ideas, uh, I direct them immediately to opencv.ai. Um, and that, you know, Dr. Malik is, is a great, uh, you know, uh, founder himself, but, he basically manages manages the code for OpenCV, and so coming up with processes, connecting the dots like immediately, like on the spot, um, without second guesses, without question, um, helps that helps that early founder go in. Oh, also in terms of stage, because I keep I, I think to clarify on the stage, it's pre-seed, so we're we're dealing with a lot of early stuff, you know, pre-rev, pre-product. Uh, uh, just ideas. And so we like to kind of set those up and tee it up for other investors too. So I think that's the other thing is we kind of add that extrinsic value to make sure that that company has some clarity with other investors. We are bringing in a lot of that, uh, early push. So they kind of need a little bit of everything. So you, you really do have to wear this tool belt that is very open-ended. Uh, it can really be uh, the Swiss army knife of everything because it, being in that, uh, pre-revenue, pre-anything, the ideation is that you're almost a mini accelerator for finding these obscure businesses that you can take, build up, get them some traction, and then throw them out to market and start finding investor relations and people that will want to invest in it. Uh, but if you're finding ones that ones like we talked about that aren't on the same path as everybody else, you kind of have to 
uh, be creative in a way to get them funded or get them moving forward in that funnel because they are going to be a little bit different off the beaten path and you're trying to find what that uh what makes them exceptional right yeah and, and you kind of said it right there it's 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 definitely that exceptional thing because we already know that in that stage there's a lot of missing parts uh so we're just looking for really unique uh unfair competitive advantages and <laughs> so and, and, and that could be completely, you know, subjective, but it's, it's how we build that fit with that founder um, really early. And you're right. Like there's, there's a ton of gaps in the beginning, but we, we like, I think that's, it's pretty fun to fill those things in the beginning as well. So how important are, I guess the main little fundamentals like sales or governance or, um, maybe inventory management based on the type of customer, what kind of things do you guys have to really hone in on to make sure that you can move them to that seed round investing? Like what things are really important to you guys? Is it just get everything organized, start building your company, get your product done, or is it sell, sell, sell? Like what kind of things do you have to focus on in this really early stage of helping a company work their way up? I think, I think it's different in each case. And, um, you know, we approach every, every, everything kind of individually. So each deal is different, but, um, where the founder comes in, uh, you know, with certain aspects of the company, we like to, or I, I, at least I like to evaluate like what I could do immediately today that makes them look better for the next, you know, for the next, uh, fundraise. So that that's kind of the milestone. It's like, what are these things you could do today that can help them prepare for the next fundraise coming up? And so a lot of times that's actually the team, um, you know, and, and I don't know what people's personal thoughts are on, you know, solo founders these days, because it's, it's actually going to change quite a bit for solo founders. But um, for me, it starts with a team. Uh, then it starts with kind of like um, finding where the connected tissue is with, with that founder. So, if there are sales, if they, if they already, if they already have sales, uh, as their prior career down, it doesn't make any sense for me to bring in advisors for, for their sales teams. But, uh, if they are a, uh, for example, uh, if they're a, an enterprise solution and they don't have a great sales engineering team down, if I teach them about pipeline, like what does that pipeline look like? How can we get a million dollar pipeline established before your next raise? It doesn't have to be closed. It just needs to be, you know, optically good and, and, and you know, get your 10 logos in there at least uh, to kind of get your pipeline. And so these concepts are like, I mean, these are things that we've all, all covered in, in Venture University. Uh, and I kind of borrow a lot of that. But I think where I really hone in on my conviction is like, how much connected tissue do I have with that founder? And are they coachable? Are they able to accept what I'm bringing to the table? And if we have a good fit, then and it kind of uh, keeps going from there. I don't really have that operationalized by any means, but you know, it, it, that's why it takes kind of these one-off, long, long relationship building processes. I love that, and and because you're in so early, there is a real coach slash mentorship buildup here that's going on because you're you're going in, and and I feel the same way because we're working the same space. We're early stage pre-seed companies that when you're working with these, the founders and the founding teams that, uh, they are leaning on you for a lot more things in this early stage. Unless like you said, they're getting money thrown at them everywhere. Then you kind of feel like an outsider just waving some money and trying to throw it in, but you're really not part of the mix. So it's kind of a pullback. It's almost not as exciting because you're like, ah, I'm just throwing money in and you know, cause you look like you're going to do well, but yeah. it doesn't carry the same weight. And it's, so I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, you mentioned the the co-founder and single single founder side, and we're going to touch on that in a second, but I'm more interested on this part of how valuable does uh, um, the accelerator or the incubator side that you've kind of are doing this without calling it that, but that you're accelerating these businesses and what you're getting out of this is you're building this real strong uh, relationship with the founder, guiding them through uh, how valuable do you think that piece of it really is compared to how other VC groups are really ha handling startups, especially as they start moving through, it just becomes about money, money and value later on. 
but they don't really have that early on what they had, which was that connection with investors, that connection with uh, guiding and, and making choices and direction. So how valuable do you think that this piece is that you're doing right now compared to, you know, that all the way up to a series D and E and going uh, public, how valuable do you think this part is in the ecosystem for startups? I think, I think from the, the, from the founder's perspective, it's extremely valuable. Um, you know, the mistake that I kind of make sometimes is that I assume that founders have already watched all the Y school videos uh, or they have already watched all the, you know, there's a lot of information out there. And I'm like, you kind of don't know that if they, uh, you don't have any reference to if they've already done the baseline work. But what I'm also looking at is, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to evangelize that your company needs to be a, a billion dollar business. Like, I, I think that you should be able to understand that with inflation and everything, you know, and gas being $10, having a million dollars in the bank in the next couple of years is almost going to be the same as having a hundred thousand dollars in the bank because of inflation. So I think sometimes people are afraid to say that they're going to be a billion dollar company, but not really taking in the fact that with inflation, you know, our billion dollar companies today are going to be multi-trillion dollar companies. And so we're big, we're small fish being billionaires or being billion dollar companies. So first, first and foremost, they just need to be open to the fact that that value, that value creation isn't for them. It's, it's actually a lot broader and, and a lot more people value a public company if you can create something from scratch. And so they need to be on that trajectory mentally, or at least have a mental you know, framework to know that that's a trajectory that's, that, that requires this type of capital. The next thing is, you know, that's not, it's not all about the returns, right? So I think in order to, to think in a, uh, what we like to say, like a 3D chess um, perspective, if, if the founder has at least one or two or three of these concepts and these frameworks in, and we see that there's a gap in their, in their thinking about uh, a go-to-market or a, you know, a product idea or a marketing that's where I want. I want, I want the founder to understand that it's, uh, you know, 80% them, 20% the rest of the team. Like we'll, we'll bring in other talent, other things for you to figure out, but it's really your job to keep that, to, uh, to own that vision and arc. Um, and so it's challenging. I mean, that, that, that alone, those little things alone uh, are actually quite challenging for a lot of people. And it takes practice, it takes reps of, of, uh, a bunch of different failures, a bunch of different experiences, uh, in order to do that. Um, and, uh, I'd like to, I'm not plugging it in any way, but I've read, I just finished super founders by Ali Tomasev and the, the book references a lot of, uh, statistics on billionaire company or billion dollar companies. And the majority that stuck out or the little highlight that stuck out to me was the fact that the founders that built billion dollar companies had already had experience building smaller companies. And so um, it lends to the fact that that might be a, a great opportunity. So as an early angel investor, the way that I translate that is, okay, you, if you had had some companies prior, that's actually very helpful. Um, but if you show this unique, if you're young and you're 19 and you're showing this really, really unique uh, you know, perspective that no one else has, um, I honestly think that you should put some, you know, put a small ticket in there and see if there's some conviction. Uh, it, it, there could be an opportunity, right? Like you're just, you're just buying the opportunity to get into their next business. Not, not, it might not be that one, but it might be the next one. So well, that's agree. actually a conversation too. For sure. And if they're a great founder and, and you really get behind them, even if, you know, the first company may be successful or not successful or whatever you deem as being success, you're buying your way into that person's next steps. So it, it is something that certainly makes a big difference as an investor because, uh, and I'll give an example. I invested in um, a company, I think six years ago, and they, uh, they went on and sold their company uh, in November. And the founder came back and said, Hey, look, this is where things are at. This is how it's worked out super fan of this investor or this founder. And uh, I said, Hey, when everything's all said and done, when everything is exited, those dollars are yours for your next company. 
And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, because one, I already looked at those dollars as being gone, meaning that they were moving through the funnel to wherever they're getting to. But I'm more interested in the next company that you build because it's going to be crushing it. And you don't even know what it is yet. I don't even know what it is yet, but I'm that excited for whatever you decide to do next. So you let me know. And that's what we're going to do. So it, it is, it fits along the mindset because uh, like you said, there's, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a unicorn or if it's just a billion dollar company, but how someone builds that makes a big difference. It's how they, what the learning they went through, what the struggles they went through that they learned from that when they go do their next business, you know, it, it would be quicker, faster, and more efficient. And they're going to be able to find different ways to solve different problems in a better, more uh, conducive way that will save time, effort, and money. And then that means they're going to move quicker into that bigger build of a company, but their energy is still there. Their excitement is still going to be there. And, and that's what you're in a way paying for, right? You're paying yeah. for burning. And that's our, that's our reward too, is I, I think the enthusiasm is, is you know, uh, it's, it's like, you kind of attach yourself to that enthusiasm. You know, it, it keeps you, it keeps you going as an investor. I think the energy is exactly what you spoke about. Um, and I, you know, I, I honestly think that the mental frameworks are there just so you don't get blinded from the enthusiasm. <laughs> it's true. I, I was uh, on a call today or, a, um, I was pitching an accelerator. So I was doing a talk. So uh, it's two hours very long talk. But when I was going through it all, there was a message that came up in chat and it was of a founder that was going through this accelerator that said, Hey, I met you four years ago and uh, we talked about this. So great to see you again. And now I'm building my company. So it's a touch point, right? So that person came to an event, they, we talked now it came here and, and so forth. So those touch points make a big difference in when that founder is going to reach out. And then I'm in my email and I've got someone saying, Hey, we talked four years ago. Here's where my company is. I'm ready for you to come and invest. So you made a little bit of a progress and a difference then. And now today they're coming back looking for more. So there's always a touch point of value that you're going to bring in. Even if you don't invest versus you do invest, you're always going to try and figure out those great founders. Uh, I had a call last week, which was interesting. And uh, there was kind of nervous, the founder, uh, you could tell. And then he's like, so why are you reaching out to me? And uh, I said, because I think you're a rock star and I'm interested in where you're at and what you're doing next and what you're going to be doing today. And he was like, oh, and then he just went on and talked about everything. Just like it dropped everything. He opened up and just boom, dropped everything out what he was doing. Right. And that excited me because I think his concern was well, maybe I don't even know what the concern was, but the interest was again, the learning of when I first saw you, the second time I saw you, I got more interested and in baked into you as a brand and as a business. So I don't know where you're going to end up today and it might not be the right investment, but I'll be there again in six months or a year. So if you decide to stop this business that I'm not super excited about, but and go into the next one, you know, reach out to me. I'll be there even closer because I really like what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, I love that. It's uh, it's a great way to share a, a way to tie into a value um, and then let that person run with it. Yeah. I think um, I, I don't want to drop too many references, but this could go in the links. I just finished um, uh, a course from Chris Fralick, who's uh, who was one of the uh, managing partners for uh, first round capital. Uh, but there was a program that he put together just really, really quick uh, called building relationships. And in the program, uh, you know, he goes into the details, and I'll, I'll piggyback on this. But uh, you know, um, uh, Bazuki was the founder of Roblox, and it wasn't until year two they were able to get a check into the company. So from in, in initial introduction to you know around year two was when they actually invested. It was just a constant uh, you know relationship building exercise over over that amount of time. And some people aren't patient enough even to consider that, you know, that length of time. So uh, I, I think that's actually a pretty good thing you bring up because, you know, when you're younger, I, I don't think you actually realize how much, um, you know, how important it is to kind of keep those relationships and kind of like you try really hard to kind of keep those relationships going and don't shut yourself off from them because you never know four years later, again, they might be you know super valuable and, you know, you can build together with, with something that you've, established with someone. So it's, yeah, I, I agree in that. I, I agree with that hundred percent. I love it. And, and I think that touch point 
is figuring out what that's going to look like, but trying to do something if it's uh, a reach out in a year, but if you've got some interest in that founder or in that business from an investor standpoint, try to find a way to stay connected. Even if it is your own drip campaign that you're doing with other investment emails you're sending out, but doing something just to keep in the purview of what they're doing and then doing a touch point every once in a while brings a lot of value back to them. And I think I've heard this a million times. Founders feel like they're alone at the top. Uh, and uh, you know, I don't know why, but they shouldn't, if they're that busy driving their business, but maybe they do. And if they do, you know what, it feels good sometimes just to have an outside investor reach out and say hi, and, and just want to learn more and, and keep that pulse going. So I think there's a lot of value in, in what you're sharing there. And I think that's brilliant. Uh, let's kind of revert back to that first initial comment that you made about founders and co-founders. I know there's a lot of funds out there in the world that tend to only invest in co-founders and, and they can come up with a million reasons why they want co-founders for, uh, not every, like not having all the, the smarts of the business in one person being able to do more with two people. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on the single versus the double and, and if it was investing in a single uh, co-founder or single founder and then versus a uh, two co-founders or three, what's kind of that look like for you and versus one versus the other? And, and how do you position yourself? Um, I guess how you diligence it is, is different than how you kind of perceive it when you first run into them. Um, I think that, you know, I'll say like, so a trash warrior, uh, she was a solo founder but had a, an amazing engineering team and a, and a team backing her up. Not a problem. Like it, it, no one, you know, really flinched at it at all. And I think it was actually a, a really cool thing to see her doing. So um, I think that as long as it's not a hindrance, as long as you don't present it as a hindrance, like I think some, sometimes founders might self-sabotage themselves by having that chip on their shoulder and saying, Oh, I don't, I don't have a technical co-founder. And it's, it's kind of a, kind of a droop in their, in their, in their lane, you know, and they're talking in their, in their, in their rhythm and in their energy instead just bring that energy up and say, Hey, it, it's really just that energy that you kind of put out when you're presenting the fact that you are uh, a solo founder and it should be great because I think right now, um, with all the tools out there, um, th there's a lot of companies that are trying to reduce that, that, um, that amount of time that, that getting to know you phase and, you know, whether they're co-founders or not, uh, you know, getting your getting in front of these people faster should help you build your teams. But going back to the question, um, it was more so an observation from institutions because the more that I listen to like you know the industry podcasts and such, the more I realize like wow, you know, this is actually pretty new. I didn't realize how new it was in terms of uh, the dynamics. So in addition to being you know, in, t in addition to diversity entering uh, our industry, it's also the fact that, you know, solo founders is a new concept and they're open to it. So um, I think it's mostly, mostly just an industry observation personally. And, and the fact that I have, you know, one investment who's also a solo founder and a woman, that's, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that um, we'll definitely run into more as we start to you know, engage yeah, the, this new kind of cohorts of businesses coming in. For sure. You get a lot of, uh, a lot of people that tend, I find that from what I've seen is that a lot of non-technical people will find a co-founder so that they can build that strength right away of having that tech resource side versus going in and trying to manage it themselves. And in that case, I find that that is a real benefit to helping that company win. Um, I think there's also the other side where they're engineers or they're too technical uh, they really do need a co-founder on the business side because yeah. they may not be able to speak the acumen or drive that out in the way that uh, maybe most on the business side will. So I think that's also very helpful. It's kind of a rare that you get them in between, but that in between also, it's just, you got to hold more and do more work when you're going in as a single founder. So you really have to have a lot of drive and push and bring in, a, like you said, a fantastic team to support you. And that's going to really help that move forward. So uh, kudos to you on the investment side and, and that team and, and all the other ones. So that's pretty exciting. But well, we kind of taken this real nice little journey here and uh, got me all excited about this, uh, 
uh, that whole side of it, the co-investing or sort of the co-founders and the vendors, there's so many good little pieces of, of insight and information on that and diving into code and, uh, you know, just fantastic. And I've got one question before we transition here, but, um, on the, the venture school that you took, how valuable was that for you as being, um, an, an investor, having the experiences that you've already gone through, how valuable was this just to kind of layer in something new for you, uh, just yeah. from the, for the investors out there listening? Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for it. So coming from the engineering side that you, that comes, that kind of naturally comes with this, like, you know, individual contributor mindset. And, uh, you know, as much as you want to believe you're a great engineer, that doesn't necessarily translate to being a great investor. Uh, of course you could look at some code. Of course you could look at a company, but I also find that, um, you know, because, you know, being a longtime software engineer, uh, the majority of my peers are nihilistic in a way. So as an engineer, you kind of have this kind of like problem to problem approach. You don't really have an opportunity to be super optimistic. Um, and so as an investor, what you have to be is you have to be delusionally optimistic. You have to be somewhat delusionally optimistic. So that kind of goes a little bit against kind of uh, you know, the, uh, the engineering mindset. So what, what VU did for me particularly was it gave me the, the, the frameworks to think by, not only to evaluate a deal, uh, the, technical, the technical stuff you pick up very quickly, obviously, as an engineer, but it's the relationships that I realized was like, oh shoot, I've been in a cave, I've been in an engineering cave for the last 10 years and I really didn't, I didn't really build that many relationships that you know would, would actually grow into things. And so that's why they say investing is a relationship business. And uh, it really is. It's really like how you go about building those, those relationships early on. And um, it gives you a lot of context to do that. And then how to approach it because you know, no one told me like what a double opt-in was. <laughs> and so, you know, making introductions to people like, Hey, this is a double opt-in. You have to, you have to get the opt-in from, you know, the, re the recipient and then also the target, you know, uh, you know introduction. Uh, and so really getting into that, there's an art to this. There's really an art to, um, how you engage these relationships and no one ever, ever wants to get a cold email. Like, Hey, I'm raising money. Uh, check this out. Look at what we're doing. People, people don't want it to be transactional. And so I would say that that definitely helped in that perspective too, is that, you know, you got into a lot of case studies where, um, if you approach a relationship from a, a, the, the do's and don'ts just pretty much like, right. Like there's a lot of do's and don'ts in terms of relationship handling and building. So definitely not there, but the technical stuff, you can get that really easily. Like, you know, what's a two and 20 or what's a, uh, you know, what's a good deal and what's not a good deal on paper. Uh, what, are the, what does this term sheet look like? Those things are all available, but what's not available on Google or otherwise is like, how do you actually, you know, um, handle these relationships? And then how do you actually uh, formalize a relationship? And how do you, how do you then scale the amount of relationships that you have to go through as an investor? Because, uh, part of our job is 98% we say no and the 2% we, we agree to. It's like, how do you manage that, you know, uh, mentally, emotionally, and, and otherwise? So yeah, I would say that it definitely helped with all, a lot of that. I like it. And uh, just to touch on that point of the, the 2% success rate or uh, of investing, like moving forward, the other 98% of having to say no, or when you drop something or let it go through the cracks or however it's uh, ghosting or whatever they call it these days in relationships. But it, it is, um, you're right. There becomes some mental capacity issue on that as well, because uh, you try to appeal and appease as much as you can, but can't do that with everything and everyone. And it does become uh, a bit of a, a tough go sometimes when you are becoming yeah. attached to a business, the founder and what they're doing. Uh, I've had a few of those in the past where you're just like, Oh my God, I want to invest in this company and I can't figure out how to find the capital to do it. Or what, oh man, this is choking me. I, I can't get into this one. It doesn't fit our thesis. Yeah. So th there is, there, there is that. And you're like, well, could I make the exception? Uh, and then uh, when you fall out of your exceptions, then you think you didn't do it the right way. You didn't judge yeah. it properly. So it, 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 uh, it becomes tough all around, but I think it's a great learning. Uh, and you're right. The whole thing at the end of it all comes down to relationships. 
Yeah. Every conversation you have, everything you start, everything you finish starts with one relationship builds on and grows. And I think that makes a, a big difference in, uh, as you mentioned, the problem solving and being able to be linear, uh, or, uh, being super communicative, however you, you phrase that out, but a lot of it comes down to is you and what you need to do in order to get to the next stage and help those with you or the companies you're investing get to that same stage, be on the yeah. same page and grow and move forward. So it's pretty incredible that you've taken a lot of this early, early stage learning, helped accelerate these companies, dived into the ones that looked exceptional, maybe uh, in the background, but didn't look so great on paper, found the wins, drove it forward. And hopefully all of those keep driving out some great successes. Yeah. And the ones that you have, uh, you know, the ones that don't have a problem, you know, raising and don't really need you. There's always angel list. That's what I was going to jump into. Also, <laughs> which is like, if you're an angel investor and you want to get great deal flow that you might not have seen on your desk. Um, I mean, write the small checks, you know, you, you may run into that company, you know, some way, somehow. And it's like, it's amazing. Um, kind of, I guess, I guess to, to throw some optionality in your, in your, you know, your own personal portfolio. Yeah. You don't always have to. So that's another, you don't always have to lead the deal, right? You don't, you can get in and other people's deals and be a smart investor. So it's, it's interesting. The landscape is Agreed. amazing right now. Uh, agreed. It's just like the stock market, right? You you can either let things ride and go up and down and one day be a, a billionaire and the next day be broke, or you can uh, uh, be one that just takes, sells and takes and knows that you can jump on the low wave when it comes back again. So it, it's interesting, but it, there's lots of options. You just have to play smart on it. Yeah. Well, all that's very viable. So now we're going to jump into one question that has you sharing a little bit about something that really emphasized totally just knocks out of the park for what it takes to be an entrepreneur. So I'm kind of looking for a story that kind of like one of those, uh, heartstring pullers or one of those ones that just really blew your way that you couldn't believe that this person went from a to B. You didn't think that they had it in them. Didn't think they were going to succeed or you thought they were going to succeed and they didn't, whatever that is just looking for, you know, a story that you really see that defines what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Oh man, I, I think that's like, that's an interesting one. So, um, in the beginning, let me speak a little bit like broadly first, and then I'll, I'll go into like a story that fits because I think it has a lot to do with me personally. Um, uh, growing up in a small village in Alaska, like that, you know, I think out of that, out of that group, you wouldn't really imagine how many people go off and, um, you know, go graduate college and go pursue other things. But surprisingly, had a lot of you know classmates that did. I think that I think that there's like um, I think that there's a lot of uh, emphasis on the valley right now. And it's like Silicon Valley is like this place, but it's not it's not because uh, everyone's great. You know, I think it's just because the exposure is high, right? So in that in that place where you can get incredible exposure as a little kid into uh, you know, seeing Steve Jobs early home, uh, exposure is a big, big thing. But to me, uh, when I came, when my parents came to this country, they were entrepreneurs already. And so the fallback for me and for us was always like, uh, all right, go create your own thing or go add some value. And the little attachment that I had for investors that are listening to this or in the room is we get, sometimes we get so caught up with, how we can add value. But I think that, I think people try to think of tangible things when in reality, it's like kind of self-searching and finding out like uh, how you connect with that human at a human level. And anyway, so the entrepreneur journey is that, you know, both my parents were entrepreneurs here and, and in order for us to, to exist, uh, they had to become entrepreneurs and, and build businesses, small businesses that, uh, you know, uh, raised us. So our fallback naturally is like, Oh, we go build a business around what you want to learn. And so, uh, that's what got me to this point. And it, I think the challenge that, I, you know, that a lot of people are going to have right now, especially in this current like environment, but that's, but what's changing is that you're, you're not going to need, uh, you know, the Ivy league education any longer to call yourself an entrepreneur. Uh, I, I think that there's so many resources and information out there to, 
identify as an entrepreneur when even just 10 years ago, if you identified as an entrepreneur, you're just like, you're looked at a little weird. <laughs> so, so today you can identify as an entrepreneur. And I think this, this kind of like trajectory that we all are having, you know, if you're a fund manager, you're somewhat of an entrepreneur. If you're, uh, if you're in this kind of other environment, any, any environment, you can be entrepreneurial. And so it's not as looked down upon anymore in a, in a societal sense, I would say. Um, but in order to really get success, I guess that's another story that that's like part two of our story. So we will, we will both come back to that. And I think, um, to allude to that though, this entrepreneurial journey is like filled with discomfort. It's filled with, you know, constantly, you know, preparing, there's a little bit of self-sabotage. And I think the best entrepreneurs actually just, they, they, you know, they assume that they, they take it and then they keep going. Like it's, it's just this weird persistence that, you know, I don't know why it hits me every day, but it's like, you, you constantly just have to keep pushing and keep going. So that's, that's kind of the, the, it's not a story arc by any means, but it's something relative that we're all going through right now. And it's, it's something relative that everyone's kind of like wondering about themselves. Uh, am I an entrepreneur? You know, do I want comfort? Do I want easy? You know, do I want it easy? Do I want it easier? Uh, or is there a problem that I can solve that's bigger than me? Or do I just need to go and feed my family for the, for the week? You know, it's like, there's, there's different contexts of entrepreneurship and it's, it fits all of those things. It's not just, it's just not just like, you know, Bill Gates of the world. Like there's, there, there's a contextual entrepreneurship that we all kind of have to embrace, especially if we're paying it forward to, you know, other entrepreneurs as investors. So I try to identify on those, I try to identify those connected tissues with my entrepreneurs. I love it. And I like the fact that you come from a different perspective too, is that, your family were entrepreneurs. So you learned right away what that was like, how hard they had to work in order to make things work, what you needed to do. You already had the mindset. You already knew that if I'm going to get into this space, I'm going to have to work hard. I remember teaching a class and I went in and said, Hey, how many people here want to be entrepreneurs? And I think one hand was like this yeah. and, uh, uh, that was it. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Well, when I'm done talking, we're going to ask this question again. And then when I was done the talk, I think there was maybe, I don't know, six hands that went up. Right. And then I went back to the person that was shaking their hand and wasn't sure if they wanted to. And I said, you know, what was the reason why you weren't sure? Oh, I hear all these stories that you got to work 20 hours a day. I don't want to work 20 hours a day. That's crazy. So it, it was, you know, but maybe if their family had that exposure, they could see that, man, I can get all of this if I work this hard, or I can go this far and do these things if I work this hard. And, you know, maybe that's a short window of 10 years and people think that's a long time, who knows? But it's interesting that the learning you take from your childhood all the way through, through your uh, the workspace and all the way through, how that sets a stage for where you are today and where you're going to keep going. But you already know what the measure of risk and work is because you live it. So I think yeah. that that's, that's pretty cool. And, and I'll support it with your line go start a business on what you want to learn. And I think that's brilliant because I can self-reflect on that and say that I always wanted to build a VC. So I did. Yeah. And, and I, I think that uh, you can set goals in your mind and direction you want to take, but if you don't challenge yourself and get out of your comfort zone, you won't get there. Yeah. I, Oh man, there's a, there's a tweet that I uh, retweeted the other day, but it was saying, um, you know, getting wealthy, isn't it about working hard? Because if every if if everyone worked hard, we'd have a lot more billionaires in the world. It's just about you know, you know leverage at the end of the day. <laughs> so um, it, it's a, it's an interesting perspective too. It's I think we all have a little bit of entrepreneurship in us. We just have to like you know like really embrace it and just lean into it. Because I, I tell you what, sometimes I feel like you know I've I've, I've been off the nine to five drug for like. Uh, you know, going on five years. And it's like, sometimes I do wish that it's like, Oh yeah, I would love to apply for that. Or you get this role or do that. And I, I realize a lot of, uh, VCs do have full-time roles sometimes, uh, while, while doing their funds. Um, but it's also interesting too, when, when immediately I just kind of switch that off and, and figure out, okay. Um, uh, you know, I can do, I can do this client work right now. I can do this thing. And it really just, it's like, you move past certain things 
um, buy a business, you know, get, get into certain, like we, we bought and sold a business. And so it's, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. I think we'll jump into that another time. I think, I think that the fallback, like, again, it's like, okay, cool. Let's go start a business. <laughs> you and me, Jeffrey, we're going to end up starting another business. Uh, yep. And it's all timing. It's knowledge. It's direction. It's pretty cool. So I, I love all the things you shared. We're going to kind of transition now into the rapid fire questions. We'll do these real quick. Um, and, uh, then we got a couple questions left and, but man, so far amazing and, and love the deep dive. It's been great. Thanks. All right. Start it off. What's your favorite part of investing? The relationships, uh, the energy, the enthusiasm, and, you know, turning entrepreneurs every day, like making everyone I know entrepreneurs, making my friends rich. I love it. I love it. I have to throw this in there, but I used to be, I used to say, I went out, this was 10, 20 years ago. I've been working with startups for so long and people are like, why do you always push in this? Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm like the biggest cheerleader for startups. I don't know why I do it, but I just love the fact that you have to have this drive to get into this space. And like, yeah. yeah, but you're always, I'm like, that's right. Be an entrepreneur. So I love that. Great. Great on you for that. It's beautiful. Uh, how many companies do you invest in per year? Uh, I try to do 10, 10 to 12 per year. So last year we did close out a 10, a 12 Q one was a little slow this year, but you know, we're going to, we're going to make up for that on, on some angel list investments, small checks, and then we're going to try to lead a few more. So I'm not, I don't have an ego around leading deals. Uh, that's, that's another kind of thing to talk about, but yeah, I'm definitely supportive of, of the ecosystem and I want to get in as many deals as possible. I think 12 is what we kind of allocate to. Awesome. Well, you're three times the average, so it's brilliant. Uh, any verticals you like to focus on? Uh, I can tell you what I don't focus on. So no, no bio, no health tech. I just, you know, like if there's a consumer facing health tech component for sure, but I, I'd leave that to the professionals. I think that there's like a whole world of that, that, um, I will have to spend another lifetime to learn. Perfect. Uh, anything that on a due diligence side, either paperwork or team, is there anything that you really emphasize? I know you mentioned team before. So is there anything on that side that you really have to have to make an investment? I mean, I think it's about team optics and narrative. Uh, so shaping your narrative is really important. You're not trying to fool anyone, but you're trying to uh, synthesize it the best way and telling your story around your team uh, is somewhat challenging because a lot of times people don't like talking about themselves. Um, you know, especially if you don't have, you know, there's people with chips on their shoulders and you actually should look into where they, you know, where they have chips on their shoulders. And that's actually, it uncovers a lot about founders, um, which is actually incredible. So yeah, I, you know, learn how to shape the narrative. The narrative is very important. Um, and learn how to storytell. I love it. Uh, do you, you mentioned about the lead rounds. You don't have to do that. Uh, do you have any preferred terms? Like, do you like pref shares, safes, anything that you like to stick to when you're making an investment? Um, no, I mean, as long as, as long as uh, the deal terms are right, like, so pre-seed, uh, I think for a very, very short time in the beginning of this year, we were able to say, great sub six post money, right? Like, we can participate. That's, that's, that's a great deal. Oh, it's a safe, it's a convertible note. That's fine. Great. But I think what we're seeing is a little bit of tiny bit of inflation on, on, on the, uh, you know, on the valuation side. So we have to dig more deeper into the technology. So if, if you're going to present it, it, it just kind of as a reaction in the, in this founders, uh, market as a reaction, we have to dig deeper on the technology on the, you know, on the mul potential multiples, uh, other than owner, rather than ownership. So, okay. Love it. Uh, do you take board seats and do you, uh, do follow up investments? Uh, no board seats. And, uh, you know, I wish I could play with pro rata, but you know, since we're dealing with, uh, you know, uncommitted capital, uh, you know, we prefer not to do the pro ratas. Perfect. All right. Well, we're good on that. Thank you very much. Couple questions. We're almost there. We're pushing through. <laughs> Yeah. All right. First question. Favorite sports team. Favorite sports team. Oh man. That's I, so I'm into unconventional sports and action sports. So if you go to my website now, it's like a guy on a motocross bike, but, uh, I used to work for Red Bull. So any team in rally and, and, and racing, uh, I'm team Red Bull all the way. Yeah. Red Bull is pretty exciting. 
I like their base jumpers and uh, all of the stunts they do uh, high in the sky, which is pretty sick. So yeah, uh, big fan of that as well. So very good. Cool. Uh, favorite movie and which character would you play? Oh, shoot. Um, I think favorite movie was, uh, uh, I can't remember the name, but Kaiser Sose. It was, it was, uh, uh, un- hmm. Man, I can't remember the name. <laughs> um, just because it's a fast question, but it's where Kaiser Sose. It's with Kaiser Sose. Uh, remind me the name. You know the name, Jack. Come on. Oh, I, I'm. It, it's uh, it's killing me right now. So yeah, it, Benicio it, del Toro, um, Kevin Spacey. I'll have to Google it. There, darn it. It is my favorite movie. The Unusual um, Suspects. Unusual Suspects. There you go. Shoot. See, I get I get stuck on quizzes. Um, reason I would love. Reason I loved it was. Um, just the, the masterful storytelling and the character that I would play, I would probably play the detective, um, the main detective. I'm trying to remember what the main detective's name was, but uh, I like that. Yeah. And now I'm going to have to watch this movie again. It's just been a while. Oh, oh, second, second favorite is uh, Moneyball. So it Moneyball. has a lot to do with investing, right? So yeah, check that out. Yeah, for sure. And which character? I would play... I would play Jonah. Like I would be that guy. I would be the data scientist. I mean, I'm kind of, yeah, I'd be the nerd in that, in that scenario. It's funny, but yesterday uh, I had a picture of Jonah and he had this blonde hair slick back. Like I know the yeah. guy or something. And I sent it off and I said, he has to have a bigger head than I do. <laughs> and uh, it was literally yesterday. So I have to share that because uh, you know, big head, small body. So I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. it has to be true. So oh, man, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge head too, man. So <laughs> I, I know the feeling. Yeah. So I thought it was entertaining, but, uh, Jonah, if one day when you do listen, don't take it badly, but, uh, yeah, uh, disproportionate. We all are, but crazy. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> that was a great movie. I totally agree with that. Um, okay. Last question. Uh, what is your superpower? Um, so to me, superpower is like a recipe of things. Um, I like to motivate people. I can get people stoked. I'm, I'm good at energizing and, and getting people, uh, appreciative of ideas. Um, but it can also, de- you know, it can also scare people away. So I think my thing is translating, um, you know, all these technical things and making them very approachable and, and easy to consume, uh, especially in investing. And then the last part of that is, um, I think that, you know, I, I think that I can, I don't know, I'm a good connector in a sense. So like, I, I will, I will easily think of two or three people that I, that I think you should meet, uh, when I meet you. And that's the immediately what I do. And sometimes it gets a little annoying to people, but I, it's like, I, I kind of find some of that connective tissue without even having to, to think about it. And so that's what I do naturally. So I, I like to kind of lean in on that. I love it. Well, those are all great characteristics. We shared a ton. As I always say, I don't take notes, but man, I always take notes. I'm paper side. So I go in every day thinking I'm not taking notes today. And you know what? I just can't help it. Uh, I've got stacks and stacks, uh, but I love it. This is all valuable information. I, I love the conversation. I think we went into some great, uh, great spaces. And uh, again, thank you very much, David, today for joining me. Uh, we're going yeah. to, uh, as we like to do, leave you with the last word. So anything that you want to share to the investor community, to startups, uh, we give you the last word. But again, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing all this great insight. Yeah, thanks everybody for joining. Thanks, Jeffrey, for, for having me. Um, I like to say no cold email. So you know, feel free to reach out to me, uh, David at action.ventures. Happy to talk about anything, you know, uh, founder, tech startup, investing related, uh, even motorcycles in the car. So happy to do it. I love it. And you got a great URL. It's fantastic. Easy to remember. Well, thank you very much again, David. Uh, Give me one second. Okay. That was an awesome uh, discussion. Again, so much value in there, man. It's uh, it's incredible. Uh, Loved everything that David kind of went over. I, I think there's some, some great, uh, pieces around him being a technologist, an engineer, being able to dive into code. Uh, I love the discussion around the co-founder versus the single founder, uh, how they've tried both, but there really is a lot of new potential coming into single founder side of things. Um, but being able to, to solve problems, build relationships, communicate, 
you know, and I love this line of go start a business on what you want to learn. Incredible. That's just 100% exactly where, uh, where life should be is that everything should be about, I want to learn something. I'm going to dive into it take my background and build something cool. And, uh, I'm doing this because I want to learn first and build up everything around it. Um, I love that. Uh, it's all around tech, technology, technology, uh, motivate and connect. You know, he, he's got a great skill set, great mindset. Uh, it was fantastic talking with you, David. Again, uh, you know, thank you for sharing so much and uh, all about the university and, and learning about uh, code and adventure, uh, adventure uh, investing. Incredible. Great things. So uh, thank you very much again uh, for your time. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on Spotify, Apple podcast and or in Stitcher. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you very much, everybody. Like, feed, share, join. See you guys all next week.